0: Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now, here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: Well, we've got a really great show today. It's going to be very informative. I've got Allison Farley, and Allison comes with lots of experience as a strategist building CPG brands. She was part of the original team that launched the Dove campaign. And when she was part of that, she witnessed the power of communications to change stereotypes firsthand. A cannabis industry vet, she's worked in marketing for cultivation, manufacturing, and distribution companies since 2016. She founded her own cannabis-centric ad agency called Flower. Flower. Since advertising is restricted in cannabis, she launched an educational platform for the cannabis curious called Doctors on Cannabis, where cannabis companies can market themselves via podcast and events. Allison, thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Lee. Well,
1: you know, it's such a crazy world now when I talk to young clients in my office about marijuana. Some call it pot, some call it weed, some call it MJ. I mean, I figure out what they're talking about, but so much has changed in the world in regards to the views on cannabis. And we're learning a lot about it as we go. We're learning a lot about the effect that it has on the brain with studies on rats, but there's so much more to learn. And in today's show, I hope that we can really look at different perspectives on cannabis. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And really, the ugly is the unknown. Um, We'd like to explore what kinds of information can help different kinds of people with different ailments that can benefit. Some people can benefit from it and some people can't. So I hope that we can really just open people's eyes and and not saying it's good not saying it's not it's bad just saying it's good for some people and for some people maybe not so why yeah. don't you kind of talk with us about you, you know you know a lot more about it than I do so talk about the pros
0: yeah so we interview a lot of doctors um who are experts on in cannabis from PhDs to MDs to veterinarians and we found um a, a couple of different areas of prose when it comes to neurological effects of cannabis. Um, in our upcoming episode, for example, um, called Cannabis, uh, it's about cannabis and autism, we interview a company called Pamphlematics, and they've just done one of the biggest studies um, on the effectiveness of cannabis on children with autism. And they were able to um, identify biomarkers in the saliva. Uh, to be able to test the effects of cannabinoids on kids with autism. Um, And the preliminary results proved that, yes, cannabis is effective in improving the physiological and psychological symptoms amongst children with ASD. And when it comes to the, quote, damage it does to the brain for kids, well, for these kids, the pros far outweigh the cons, because cannabis significantly improves the quality of their lives. For example, we did a a Doctors on Cannabis episode called Kids on Cannabis, where we interview uh, the mother of an autistic teenager and her MD. So this kid had severe medical trauma as a baby, Uh, he had autism, they had tried everything on him. I mean, he was on like Prozac when he was four years old. and they tried everything and you find that with cannabis people have tried everything until they finally make it to cannabis it's like the last rich effort for them um so they were at their their wits end uh he had grown into a teenager and become unmanageable um he kicked in a window shield they were worried they were going to have to put him in a new school like a special school Um, so they decided to try cannabis and with a mere 0.05 milligrams per week which is that's like nothing um, they put it into his food. This boy's life completely changed. Mm-hmm. He was able to stay in school. He was making friends. He joined a basketball team. Um, it's really an amazing story.
1: So. Well, you know that that is an amazing story, and and I think that some people believe all kinds of marijuana will hurt you, and others that story shows that it's perfectly safe. But I think you know what research shows is that marijuana's strongest long-term effects occur with young smokers. Because their brain is still developing, they're still creating those neural connections, and that brain's not fully developed until you're twenty five to you know thirty. So I think that's the big concern.
0: Yes, and I agree. Um, you know, if you just have a normal teenager, you don't want them using cannabis on a regular basis because their brains are still forming. But if you have a, a, a child with autism or epilepsy, it can really help improve the quality of their lives. So, you know, the pros outweigh the cons in that context. Um,
1: thanks well, I, I do agree with you because I've had a client that had a, a young girl, she was four, and she was working with the clinic here doing neurofeedback because neurofeedback has been shown some effectivity with seizures. But she she was driving to another state to legally get cannabis so that it because it helped her daughter amazingly and you know to see a four-year-old beautiful little four-year-old girl go into seizures if you've if you've never seen that I hope you don't because it breaks your heart even if it's not your little girl um, so I do I do agree with you that the value that the, the possibility of the value is there and you know an interesting new book just came out it came out in September and it was written by a doctor, and she talked about the pros and cons of cannabis. So I think that when, it's, when you start to get that type of attention from the medical community that says, hey, you know, there's just too much conflicting information out there. We don't know what to believe. We don't know what to believe. Uh, we've got, you know, because I don't know about you, but I used to think about cannab- cannabis, marijuana, as a recreational drug.
0: Oh, yeah, thanks to the 60s. (laughs) But it's been a medicinal drug since the ancient Egyptians, but the 60s turned it into, you know, pot. I guess. (laughs) Um, I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe the recreational thing comes from the 60s. I don't know if it was used recreationally before that, but um, yeah, I agree. I think all cannabis is medicine. I mean, you can be using it recreationally, but it's still medicinal. I mean, imagine drinking a fifth of whiskey versus smoking a joint one night. What are you going to wake up with? Uh, what's going to give you the worst
1: hangover the next day? Um, probably the fifth of whiskey versus the one joint that you smoke. So, yeah. And you I- make a really good point there. All drugs, alcohol included, all drugs change the way the brain works because it changed the way those nerve cells communicate, those little neurons you know, they send messages to each other by releasing chemicals, neurotransmitters. And, you know, dopamine, when, when you do something and you like it, oh, the brain starts kicking out all this dopamine. The problem is, is those little neurons get confused. So it goes from, I like that, to I want that, to I need that. And I think that's, you know, where addiction starts to occur.
0: Yeah, and there is a lot um, of theory around how cannabis is less addictive than other drugs. However, I don't know how much that's been proven. I mean, you know, if you're addicted to one thing, maybe you're addicted to everything. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But um, it it has been discussed as a less addictive substance than, say, opioids or alcohol. Um, although that's not to say it's not addictive. Um just less so. Another oh go ahead. No, no, please. Well, I was gonna just move on to the next part about cuts on cannabis, but if you have a point to make then
1: yeah. I mean, I think I think we're both trying to make the same point, and that is is that we're just learning about cannabis. And as we learn, the more that we know, the better we can help people educate themselves and make better decisions.
0: Yes. Knowledge is power, for sure. And we just haven't been able to learn anything about cannabis, and we'll talk about it later, but because it, it has been illegal, we haven't been able to study it as much, although they have been studying it in other countries. Um, so another episode that shows the pros of medical cannabis is our Pets on Cannabis episode. Um, so we interview a couple of veterinarians about uh, how cannabis helps pets with neurological disorders like epilepsy. Um, and actually, um, cannabis affects dogs uh, um, very similarly to the way it affects humans. Um, and then qualitatively, vets clearly see how it helps their patients. They can tell you, yes, it helps. Um, it's hard to prescribe because it's not legal in every state and whatnot. But quantitatively, they have done studies, um, well, one study um, <laughs> amongst dogs, a clinical trial, dogs with epilepsy, and they found that the dogs in the CBD group had um, a significant reduction in seizure frequency, which was super positive compared with the placebo group. So it helps dogs. But again, it's only been one study. There needs to be more research done in the area. Um, There have been some studies on the effectiveness of uh, cannabis among humans. Um, So there was, and you kind of referenced it earlier a little bit, Lee, but um, there was this uh, little girl, Charlotte, I mean, she's, She's grown up now, but she's from Colorado, um, and she had a rare debilitating form of epilepsy. And she kind of came into the public eye in like 2013, when news broke that medical marijuana was able to do what other drugs couldn't uh, dramatically reduce her seizures. It was kind of like that kid we talked about earlier. They tried everything with him. With his autism, nothing worked. And nothing was effective, and then finally cannabis was effective. So for some people, for some, it's very effective. For some people, it's not. But for this girl Charlotte, which is rare um, form of epilepsy, it really works. So now that there's a strain of CBD uh, dominant cannabis out there called Charlotte's Web. Um, and then they also there's also this neurologist. I don't know if you've heard of him, Lee Oren Davinsky.
1: No, but that didn't mean anything.
0: So, well, he's in New York, and you're in Dallas. So, I could probably see why. Um, he is. So, yeah, he's at the. What's? Where is he at? The New York LeGong Medical Center. So, he's done this study, the Lancet Neurology, um, and it's the largest study uh, to date of a cannabis-based drug treatment uh, resistant epilepsy. Uh, sorry, let me do that over. It's the largest study to date on uh, cannabis-based drug treatments for epilepsy. And the research treated over 100 patients with an extract of mostly CBD, which is the non-psychoactive element in uh, marijuana. And they monitored them for a few months. And the the research was somewhat positive. It reported um, the intervention uh, reduced motor seizures at a similar rate to existing drugs to treat epilepsy and a 2% and 2% of patients became completely seizure free. Again, one study more needs to be done, but you know, it it just goes to show that that cannabis can be used to treat things neuro, neurological disorders like epilepsy, and autism and who knows what else.
1: <laughs> well, you know, and I think PTSD. I actually saw a research study in the journal Trends in Pharmacological Science where the CBD is not considered to be a toxic or impairing substance. And I think that's important for people to know because I think sometimes, you know, there's CBD, there's THC, and we get confused on how it's used. But with CBD, it's best known for being used in the medicine world, and it's non-psychoactive. And it doesn't produce that mind-altering effects. You know, you don't feel like you're getting high. So people need to understand that CBD is not that you know there's not the same thing there's the two compounds CBD and THC and THC is the part of the plant that you, you know gives you that kind of a euphoric feeling and although I it, it can affect people in different ways and not all are good.
0: Yeah, and you you're right it's not just about getting high. I mean, okay, some people will abuse it for that or use it for that, but um, If you microdose it, it's just you're taking a little bit um, to to help your symptoms. And actually, you can overdo it. You know, you can use too much and it's ineffective. Like you only need a little tiny bit. And, you know, you need to give your uh, endocannabinoid system time to reset. And that takes about three days. So, you know,
1: if you use cannabis, say, every three days, it's going to be more effective if you use it every day. Well, you know, you bring up a good point, and that's the receptors. Because as it goes into the brain, the THC attaches to cells and neurons, but, and it also hooks onto the, the receptors, and those receptors are also activated by the chemicals that we talked about, dopamine. So, you know, all that, ne- that communication network in the brain gets really lit up um, when THC comes in.
0: Yeah, it would be fascinating to see um, if we could, I could, we could put a brain scan on the screen for people to be able to see the difference between, you know, the effects of alcohol versus cannabis on the brain. But I don't even know if they've done studies about that.
1: <laughs> now I do know that there's been some studies that have been done that show uh, marijuana users have lower blood flow in areas in the brain that are associated with memory and learning. I don't know if those same studies have been done with alcohol. I mean, when you think about it, why would they? Alcohol is legal. It's, I guess it's, it's um, we went through, we kind of went through the same thing with alcohol, though. We went through prohibition, or what was it called? Prohibition. Um, where alcohol was illegal.
0: Yeah. And and now we're, we've gone through this cannabis prohibition. You know, cannabis used to be legal um, in America. It was made illegal at the turn of the century when, um, so hemp was competing with oil Dow and the oil men uh, lobbied the government to make cannabis illegal because they didn't want to have to compete with hemp. So that's, it was legal before um, the early 1900s. Um, And I wanted to follow up on something you said about THC and CBD, Lee, and it's just not about getting high. So you have CBD dominant, um, strains, but you do need a little bit of the THC in there. It's called the entourage effect. So it's like, to make the CBD more effective, you have to have all the other elements in there, the THC, the terpenes, all the other molecules and cannabinoids, CBN, uh, CB, you know, CBG, uh, THCA, THCN. Uh, there's so many different elements in the plant that if you're looking for a CBD product, you don't want to just buy like uh, an extract, You wanna make sure you get full spectrum and it's okay if it has a little bit of THC in it. That's gonna make the CBD actually more effective, which is interesting and it's not gonna make you high, but it's called the entourage effect because somebody explained it to me like this. It's like you need bouncers to open the door for the effective part of the, of, of the molecule. So it's like the THC, the terpenes, the cannab- all the other molecules and cannabinoids are opening the door for the CBD so that it can be more effective in terms of being metabolized by the liver. So that's the entourage effect.
1: Well, I think, you know, you talked about the epilepsy and autism. And the book I mentioned that, uh, that came out in September, it was by a doctor. And she talked about she's seen patients with a lot of conditions, chronic pain, PTSD, inflammatory bowel disease, cerebral palsy that have benefited from medical marijuana. And that, you know, she there's some re- research that reveals that medical marijuana has also been proven to alleviate pain, discomfort, and nausea associated with the effects of some cancer treatments. That's pretty strong research.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And actually, amongst our veterinarians, we found that you know you give dogs chemo too, and um, that it actually helped dogs regain their appetite after chemo and helped them recover as well. So um, it not only just helps humans; it it's it's helpful to to many different um, organisms. So um, that's why we need the education and. Um, and all the learning because it's been so stigmatized as as this, you know, pothead drug and the stoner thing. And um, it's just, there's so many positive things to learn about it, Um, you know, if if, if it works for you. um, If it doesn't, um, that's okay. It doesn't work for everybody, um, but for some people it can be really effective, especially PTSD, like you mentioned. I've, I've talked to a lot of, of vets, military vets, and um, they put them on a cocktail of drugs when they get back. And, uh, it, you know, it makes them lethargic, they gain weight, they're unhappy. Um, and a, a, many of them, uh, this was when I lived in California, uh, switched to cannabis where it's legal. And they were able to go off of like almost every drug um, because of that. They lost weight. They felt better. They were happier. Um, so, you know, in terms of PTSD amongst military vets, um, I've seen it, you know, just firsthand be very effective in, in, in terms of helping them.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. Where do you see people get the most confused about it? Is it, is it around the legality? Is it around how helpful it's, it's going to be? What confuses people the most?
0: I think that a lot of people think it's all about getting high. And like I mentioned earlier, and for some people, it might, that might be the case, but it's not all about that when you use it as a medicine and you dose it properly. Um, the thing is, we don't know how to dose it. Doctors don't know how to prescribe it because it's illegal. But um, yeah, I think that would be the biggest confusion is everybody thinks, oh, I don't want to get high. Like I'm scared to get high, you know, and like, I don't want to try it. Like I had this really bad experience in college where I ate a pop brownie and I'm never going to try it again. And it's like, yeah, you ate this pop brownie that probably had like 500 milligrams of THC or something crazy in it, you know, um, you know, versus like, like we're talking about like reframing the discussion and thinking about it as a medicine and taking it in doses instead of, you know, just like blindly thinking about it like this recreational drug. I mean, you know, we don't dose alcohol like doctors don't prescribe alcohol. Cannabis is different.
1: Well, you're right. Doctors don't. And and I think one thing I have found with my client base and, and I think with most people say, so do you drink? Uh-huh. So do you drink every day? Yeah, only one, only one glass of wine, and <laughs> usually, maybe sometimes it's not one glass of wine. Um, it starts with one wine, but people feel a little bit ashamed of what of what they're using, and I think that's part of my goal. If we can help people understand how to use CBD properly, there is nothing to be ashamed of. I have a dog that's going into surgery tomorrow. And he's a, he's a rescue dog, part French bulldog. So he's got that real nervous kind of titch, but he's become so much calmer since I put him on CBD. And it's almost like I can enjoy him so much more and he can enjoy me so much more. And my big concern with the whole surgery was, I told the vet, you know, can I continue to give him his CBD? And he's like, Absolutely. You know, no water, but before the surgery. But you can give him his CBD. So there, there is value in it. And whether it's, a, I mean, a pet or a human, a lot of the studies that look at how marijuana impacts the human brain, they're done with rats. So it's still relative,
0: <laughs> right? We're all in a rat race. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. You you mentioned alcohol and the effects and and whatnot, because there's this book called The Alcohol Effect, where they talk all about, um, it's about like, okay, take 30 days and quit and see how you feel. But then they get into kind of some of, maybe it's brain stuff. I don't know. You tell me, Lee. But they talk about how alcohol really affects your REM sleep. So you're, you're basically not going into REM sleep when you drink alcohol. Um, and so you're not getting a good night's rest. So even if it's like a few glasses. So, you know, that over time, that starts to really kind of, I guess, affect stuff if you're not getting a good night's sleep, if you're not going into REM sleep every night. I don't know. I, how does that affect the brain?
1: Well, sleep is your foundation for brain health. All day long, you've got those little neurons and dendrites, wiring and firing, and they're creating some toxic waste. The only time these little glial cells can come out and clean up the mess is when you're asleep, and there's a lot of research that is starting to link insomnia to Alzheimer's disease because sleep is your foundation. That is your brain's. The brain's got to have it.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing cannabis really helps with is sleep. It helps a lot of people sleep. Um, you know, the kind of the st- the kind of rule of thumb in California is you know you take um, an edible to keep you asleep and you, you smoke a little bit before bed to put you to sleep. So that's like the mixture that some people use out there. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I guess we're getting into harm reduction a little bit. Um, so we did an episode on harm reduction. So when you swap out um, cannabis uh, for things like alcohol and opioids, um, that helps, um, to reduce the harm done to your body. Um, And there's many ways you can do harm reduction. It doesn't just involve, like, drug and alcohol. It's like not having that second piece of cake or um, not, you know. There's a lot of things you can do. Anyway, um, it may do less damage to the brain than alcohol or opioids. But, again, you don't know that because... There haven't been any studies done, but I would love I would love to see a study done, like where you compare alcohol, opioids, cannabis, I don't know, something else, um, psilocybin. A lot of people are kind of using that medicinally now. That's another discussion, but uh, j- just to see, you know, like how it shakes out, like how is each, you know, affecting, it, which is the least harmful. Because it, it could help people make these harm reduction choices. Like instead of going for that third glass of wine or that fourth or fifth glass of wine, you know, take a hit off your vapey pen or, you know, have a edible or whatnot. Um, that's going to reduce the harm than drinking,
1: you know, more alcohol. Is the well, you know you, you know, you make a good point because when marijuana is smoked or vaped, the THC passes from the lungs into the bloodstream. And that goes, that carries into the organs throughout the body, including the brain. And its effects, they start almost immediately and they can last anywhere from one to three hours. And, you know, this your, this can impact your decision-making, your concentration, your memory. And some studies say for days after use um, when pe- for people who use marijuana regularly. But if you consume it in a food or a beverage, the effects appear later, usually in 30 minutes to an hour. So, and many people, you know, the, those effects can last for many hours. Um, and one of the, the negatives I read about the edibles is some people consume more and more waiting for yeah. the feeling, and they end up in the emergency room or, you know, with uncomfortable sim- symptoms. So, it's it's complicated, and I think the good thing is, is that you and I both know how complicated that it is. And I think that you and I both don't have the answers. Uh, what I, I do at the, my clinic, the Brain Performance Center, I have a lot of young people that come in with anxiety and they tell me that they're, you know, I'm smoking pot, I'm smoking weed, I'm smoking marijuana, uh, and I'm doing it to calm my brain down. And my response to that is, is please don't do it the day before or the day of that you do your training, because we do know that marijuana changes the alpha in the brain. And that's something that we're training so it's and you know the surprising thing is allison they all are saying okay i won't do that and for for the most part they don't i'm sure there are times that maybe they do and they don't tell me about it but for the most part i don't think they do you know and i think that we've got a lot more to talk about we're going to go out to a break but when we come back, I'd really like to talk about what the studies show about the effects on of cannabis on the brain. And there's good and there's there's bad. And just, you know, give people some more information that how they can figure out what's right for them. So stay with us and we'll be right back from the break.
2: We'll be back after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our
3: website at annettehammond.com.
1: It's never
3: I managed to run out of coffee again this morning. I didn't even have enough to make one cup. Boy, was that a miskababble or big mistake because I make serious coffee so strong it wakes up the neighbors. Now, I don't have a problem with caffeine. I have a problem without caffeine. I get wadgety and brickety. Did you know apples are more efficient than coffee for keeping people awake in the morning? Unfortunately, I didn't have any apples either. Acorns were used as a coffee substitute during the American Civil War. Without my hot cup of coffee in the morning, I'm feeling pretty squirrely myself. What do you call that piece of cardboard that wraps around your coffee cup to keep from burning your hand? A zarf. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
2: We're back. Here is your host, Lee Richardson.
1: We're back, and we're going to kind of go into the science side of the conversation. Look at some of the research studies, because some studies suggest regular marijuana use in adolescence is associated with altered connectivity, reduced volume of specific brain regions. Um, A lot of those are involved in executive function, memory learning, impulse control, A lot of those relate to the the frontal lobes, which aren't fully developed to your mid to late 20s. But then there are other studies that have not found significant structural differences between the brains of people who do and do not use the drug. I mean, there's two studies that had large longitudinal studies, and they suggest that marijuana can cause functional impairment in cognitive abilities, but that the degree or the duration of the impairment depends on the age when a person began using and how much and how long she or he used. Is this, do you see this in your research?
0: Um No, we haven't gotten into that yet. <laughs> but we have seen that, yes, people who use marijuana repeatedly over years for decades have less brain performance than someone who
1: doesn't. What well, was interesting is they looked at 4,000 young adults in the coronary artery risk development in young adult study, and it tracked them over a 25-year period until mid-adulthood. It looked at all their cumulative life exposure to marijuana, and it was associated with lower scores on a test of ver- verbal memory, but that it did not affect other cognitive abilities, such as processing speed or executive function. So, the effect was sizable and significant even after eliminating those involved with current use and after adjusting for co-founding factors, you know, demographics, drug, alcohol use, and other psychia- psychiatric conditions such as depression. And, you know, it's so interesting. I read a study a couple of days ago about the success of mushrooms being used for depression.
0: Oh, yeah. That's like a big thing now. So you go into... um a therapist's office, right? And they give you like a microdose and then you do therapy. Like they kind of walk you through it, right?
1: I mean, there's different ways it's done. But to me, when I saw that study, I was like, you know, this is just showing that we've got to look at more organic solutions. We've got to look at what we, what's been around since the beginning of time. Because back in the early BC days, There weren't synthetic chemicals. They didn't have a Xanax to give you. They didn't have an Adderall to give you when you needed to pay attention. So we have lived for a very long time without synthetic chemicals. And I believe that we've had the same problems for a very long time.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting too. When they legalize it, they're supposed to come up with synthetic cannabis. The pharmaceutical industries apparently have it in their vaults, ready to like roll out. So, I'm not sure how effective that is against like just regular
1: natural cannabis. But be interesting to see when that happens. Well, people that come in my office and and you know a bit marijuana can be a big source of tension because the parents want them off. And the kids think that it, they like the effect it produces on them, you know, but what the parents are saying is it's going to hurt his memory. It's, I mean, look at their appetite, their appetite, their cord, and they come home and they're having the munchies and they're eating too much and, and I don't, they don't get pleasure from anything unless they're smoking marijuana. And granted, those are red flags. They certainly are. But we don't really understand what effect the marijuana can have on the brain when, when until we study it more and I think that we people have to use the drug regularly over a long period of time because I do I've seen some neuroimaging studies that show there's differences between the brains of a marijuana user and non-users.
0: Yeah and I think it matters how old your brain is like obviously we've talked about it's bad for the young brain but I've read um, that it's actually like helps o- the elderly like it's good for the old brain for some reason it helps
1: their memory <laughs> it's
0: Like, wait what how is it, how is that how does that
1: work so well and, you know it could be too as we get older and it our, our neural connectivity declines i mean it's even you know, the brain has this philosophy use it or lose it if you quit using certain neural pathways they just shut down and i think one thing that cannabis marijuana has been attributed some good points on are creativity you know it reduces the tension it, it it can be very freeing for people and open up their brain so that they can experience or think about things differently
0: now is creativity something you can measure in a neuro uh, test neuroimaging
1: is no. that- not that I know. I mean, with an uh, fMRI, there's parts of the brain that we know are responsible for creativity. There, They they probably light up. In my clinic, I really can't because what I'm looking at is the raw data, the electrical frequencies in the brain. And I know, I mean, I know where they're coming from, the scalp source, but I you know, don't go down into the thalamus or the hippocampus or the cerebellum. And that's what an fMRI does that would really show you you know how how that impacts the brain. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it'd be it would be interesting
0: to see how it impacts creativity because you know as a marketing person that's definitely an angle that a lot of cannabis companies have used. Uh, they use it a lot with sativa, which is the more uppity quote uppity type of uh, cannabis strain, and um,
1: yeah, so it'd be interesting to see. Well, you know, I think that. I know there are MRI studies of a teenager's brains that show those that you regularly use marijuana. It shows, you know, the impaired neural connectivity in specific brain regions. So I'm sure that MRI studies could show us just what we were talking about. Um, Because being creative requires, it's a whole head function. You got to have executive function. You got to have learning. You got to have impulse control, um, so all of those things I know that they can look at in an MRI. What, what's interesting to me, the big concern that I have heard is the it's the long-term. It's like, okay, maybe it's not so bad if they smoke a little marijuana now, but what about the long-term effects that the drug produces? And I had one, cl- one client's parent come in and you know, gave me a longitudinal study they found in New Zealand that found that frequent marijuana use by adolescents was linked to up to a loss of eight IQ points in mid-adulthood. That same study found that teens who persistently use marijuana in adolescence but quit using still had a decline in IQ as adults. So it's confusing. Is it the immediate impact that, you, you know, the decreased the impaired neural connect not connectivity in my world that's known as coherence and phase, but it there's just so much to learn about the brain, and I think that what people are interested in right now is learning how i mean we the last eighteen months have been horrendous, and they've introduced a level of stress to us that's unknown we've never been through something like this and everybody, stress is one of the four things that puts the brain into a dysregulated state. And everybody has been super stressed out. And I think people are looking for options. They're looking. And some people want to go more organic. They don't want to take, you know, they don't want to take something that's made in a lab. And I understand that.
0: Yeah, and in a way, cannabis is kind of a homeopathic drug. So,
1: you know, when, when we think about it, Go ahead.
0: Oh no, I was just following up on your point. In a way, cannabis is really a homeopathic drug, so it doesn't really fit into any category. Like, you know, it's not really a pure pharmaceutical, but it's not like alcohol or stuff like that.
1: No, it's not. And I mean, and is it organic? I don't know. It's probably sprayed with pesticides, and and who knows what's in the dirt anymore? What grows the food that we that we eat? Because we know how severely limited our dirt is. So. It all comes from the ground up, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and luckily in states where it is legal, you have testing. So they test it for pesticides and things like that. But in states where it's not legal and there's a black market, you don't know what you're getting.
1: <laughs> well, and the de- sometimes people think the devil they know is better than the devil they don't know. <laughs>
0: what if you know more than one devil?
1: Well, and most of us do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's
1: devil of the day sometimes, you know. Uh, but, you know, as we continue to talk about the pros and cons of cannabis, and I hope that you mentioned it earlier on, we need more studies. We need to look at how it can be used as a medicine because we we need to be, doctors need to be able to maybe earn a certification that allows them to certify their parents to obtain state regulated marijuana for certain health conditions. And I know in some states like Colorado, you have your little medical card and you walk into the medical pharmacy, the pharmacy, and you get your prescription filled.
0: Yeah, I know. That would be amazing. Um, And, you know, that takes federal legalization again. And but there's also a stigma amongst doctors. I've talked to a lot of doctors who they want to prescribe cannabis, but they're scared they're going to lose their license if they're in a state where they can't. At the same time, um, they have patients coming in asking them about it. And they're like, I can't do anything. So they're losing patients. So they're kind of stuck between this rock and this hard place of, OK, I don't want to lose my license, but now I'm losing patients. So it's hard for them. And they don't a lot of them don't have a roadmap. Um, which is is crucial. I mean, I can't imagine trying to prescribe things without knowing. I'm
1: not a doctor, but um, yeah. What's interesting because I had, oh maybe two months ago, I had a pharmacist on my show and he had been a pharmacist with Walgreens for over 20 years, many more than 20. And he had did a career shift and he was a CBD pharmacist and he helped people understand how to use CBD just like I mean I can't imagine I don't really well I'm blessed I don't really get many prescriptions filled because you know they always but when you do they always say do you have any questions do you need to know anything and what a blessing it would be if you know you, if someone wanted to use CBD and they knew where to go and they could say you know I don't know how to use it I don't know how to dose it I don't know what what are my red flags I should look for that would be a blessing
0: Yeah, and some dispensaries um, that sell cannabis, are they act like pharmacies, um, the really good ones. You know, some of them, they wear white lab coats. They're experts. They can completely tell you everything you need to know, guide you. Other dispensaries are located in a back alley somewhere. (laughs) You're you're scared to go there. So, you know, um, if we could somehow, like, regulate that market, like cannabis pharmacy, you know, um, where you go in and you are going to get
1: the advice you need, and it's 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 going to be consistent every time. Well, is that something that, I mean, you have an, an agency, and I found it interesting the name of your agency, Flower. Is there a story behind that?
0: Well, Flower is what you call um, the cannabis flower, so the bud of the cannabis, um, and it's also... You know, double meaning, like helping to bloom brands or helping um, cannabis brands flower. Um, So that's how it got started. That's where the name came from. Um, I don't know how I got the URL. I guess I was it was 2016. So I guess it's fast game. But yeah, so that's where the name came from, really. Um,
1: I was lucky to get it. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, you know, like you said, it's the flowers and the leaves of the plant. That's what marijuana is made from. So it it does make sense. The, The, I think your goal is really much broader than mine. I mean, my goal is just to help my clients understand what, how to use marijuana in the right ways. And in the state of Texas, it's illegal. So, you know, marijuana is off the table, but CBD is legal. So how do I educate them and kind of help them shift from an illegal activity to something that is legal. Are there resources, are there places that I could send my clients to that you could point out?
0: Well, there's a great book written by Michael Bakes called Cannabis Pharmacy. um, That's kind of a go-to that's been very helpful for some MDs in terms of prescribing and things like that. Um, That's kind of the main thing. There's also another journal of endocannabinoid medicine, Um, that's written it's got a bunch of different doctors uh, and they all write kind of like an article on there Um, and then consumer wise um, in terms of educating ourselves uh, Leafly does a good job Um, there's Weed Maps they do a decent job they help you find the cannabis dispensary near you Um, and they rate the dispensaries, so you can find like a a good one where you could go get good information. I mean, the best thing to do is, is if you're in a legal state, walk into a dispensary, that's a good one. And just ask, um, if they, if they know their stuff, then they'll be able to, to point you in the right direction for sure. I've learned more dispensaries than, than anywhere else, probably.
1: Well, tell me what, what are three standard questions that you would ask when you walk into a dispensary?
0: um well it depends on kind of my symptoms what I'm looking for um, if I'm traveling um so so yeah so say I'm walking in and I can't sleep so I'd walk in and I'd be like I'm looking for a a strain that can help me sleep they're probably going to point me in the direction of an indica which is um, the sleepier strain, the sleepier type of, of cannabis. Um, it's also referred to as in the couch. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to ask, okay, well, which strain, you know, is, is the best amongst, amongst these indica strains? And then, you know, like which, um, you know, then I would probably get into like flavor, <laughs> which is like the terpene stuff. Or, um, if I'm doing an edible, I would want to do something that's like, um, like I would ask like, which one's more kind of like, like faster acting, um, so that I wouldn't fall into that trap of, oh, I don't feel it. And then have another one. And then all of a sudden be like, oh gosh, now I feel it too much. (laughs) Um, so those would probably be my three main questions. Again, I'm not a newbie. So, um. It would be interesting to talk to a newbie to see like if I were to call up my mom and be like, hey mom, what would you ask? Um, she was actually, my mom, she went to a dispensary with me and she um, she was looking for stuff for arthrit- arthritic medication like topicals. So a lot of like older people have questions about topicals and those won't get you high. I mean, unless you eat a topical but you're not gonna eat your like
1: salve. <laughs> like, not me.
0: <laughs> no thanks. Um, so, yeah, topicals don't get you high at all. They just affect uh, inflammation. So if you have arthritis, you can rub some on uh, the arthritic bit and it helps kind of reduce that inflammation.
1: So for, for, you said you know there's good dispensaries and bad dispensaries. How do you know if you got a good dispensary? Is there a certification that they have? Is there something that sets them apart?
0: Yeah. So, well, I referred to that one website or uh, app website brand called Weed Maps, and they rate dispensaries. Uh, you can also go on Google Maps if it's legal in your state and look for the highest rated dispensaries. Um, and then it's really trial by error. And that's what's hard with cannabis is it's all trial barrier. I mean, even with your dog, if you're trying to prescribe your dog cannabis, it's trial barrier with everyone. Like, because we haven't figured out, like doctors don't really know how to prescribe it. We haven't figured out how to dose it. Everybody's got to kind of figure out what works for them. Um, so same with dispensaries. Like (laughs) you just got to like, you know, you don't want to go into one that has like one star, you know, look at the photos. Is it in like, it, does it look nice? Does it look, you know, not like it's in a back alley. Um, but, yeah, again, that's just trial and error. A lot of, you know, dispensaries have better reputations, word of mouth, things like that. But if, you, if you're just starting from scratch and you don't know, then I would suggest just going on Weed Maps or just Google it and go for the higher rated ones and just check them out.
1: <laughs> so the same selection process you make when you're going to go out and get a hamburger, you know, right? <laughs> what's around me, what what's good when I walk in. Do I like the way I'm greeted? Do they speak nicely to me? Um, or do they leave me standing at the front door for ten minutes? That's that's a pet peeve of mine. I, I don't I can't make it to ten minutes without at least being recognized. So it's it's like good common sense, I think. Yeah, exactly. Well, going back to some of the studies, I mean, because according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, some of what scientists do not know is what the differences seen on the MRI images mean, and how long. The difference lasts if someone quits smoking or quits using marijuana do you have any research on that
0: how long that it lasts after someone quits smoking like if it, it still affects the brain yes no, I was actually going to ask you that question. I was curious. I had it written down. I was like, so like, does it wear off? Like if you stop using, does your brain go back to normal? Um, no, that was actually,
1: I'd written that down as a question for you. I haven't seen anything on that. And I'm just curious. Well, you know, and I haven't seen a definitive answer. I mean, I've I've seen that there's substantial evidence from animal research. And even now they're starting to do studies in humans that indicate marijuana exposure during development, when you're growing up, can cause long term or possibly permanent adverse changes in the brain. So, I mean, I, I know the rats that have been exposed to THC before birth or soon after birth or during adolescence show notable problems with specific learning and memory tasks later in life. Hmm. So, I mean, but there's, I don't know how much studies have been done because. Cognitive impairments in adult rats exposed to THC during adolescence are associated with the structural and functional changes in the hippocampus. Hippocampus is the part of the brain that's really revolved in memory. Um, And the, the studies also show that an adolescent rat exposure to THC is associated with an altered reward system. And that is what I have seen... And in human addiction, time and time and again, it's And we talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, the brain, those neurons get so confused when they do something that they like, it's a reward. And so the brain starts kicking out that dopamine. Dopamine's that really, it feels so good. It's a feel-good transmitter. So those little neurons get so confused. Oh, I like this. I need this. You know, I want this. One, one point that we haven't talked on, and and it's a question that I have been asked from several times, is marijuana a gateway drug? Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: I think any drug can be a gateway drug, like cigarettes could be a gateway drug. You know, you could start drinking alcohol first and then use marijuana. Um, I doubt many people start out with heroin, but uh, who knows? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I mean, that's, I think it's been, I think, Cannabis has been unfairly labeled the gateway drug. I think every drug is a gateway drug. I mean, look at kids that are put on like Ritalin when they're like five years old and then they have problems with cocaine when they get older. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you watch Euphoria on HBO. It's kind of about that. They put her on drugs at a very young age because she has OCD or something, and then she ends up becoming a drug addict when she gets older. So I mean, like I think all drugs rewire the brain. Like even antidepressant uh, antidepressants rewire the brain in some context and affect memory. I remember remember Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> like oh yeah, what what happened to that guy? Like somebody told me it was all the the like, pharmaceuticals they had him on that made him like that. I don't know. I mean, it could have been his checkered past.
1: Well, I have to be honest. I have to be honest. I see people, a lot of the people I see in my practice are on pharmaceuticals, and I've seen some pretty altering events occur from the pharmaceuticals. Brain fog, you know, impaired mobility, um, more depression, more anxiety. So, Synthetic chemicals are going to change the brain just like, just like marijuana would. And in many cases, I mean, if, if we understand with marijuana, it's the receptors that are, for, that are found in the parts of the brain that influence pleasure and memory, thinking, concentration, coordinated movement. Marijuana activates that system. Um, but what we don't know is what all the synthetic chemicals are doing. Yeah, that's a great point. So I think that's that's something that, you know, I'm not a real big believer in medication because it never works for me. You give me an antibiotic and I get a big red rash on my face and, okay, I don't need that. <laughs> but, and I think more and more people are. So we've got a couple of minutes left and I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit. And if people want to reach out to you, want more information, if they want to be on a on a show with you, if they're a doctor, how do they find you? What's the process?
0: Yeah, um, so I have a couple of different email addresses, but the best email address to reach me at is allison at floweradvertising.com. Um, yeah, we are looking for sponsors for our podcasts um, as well as people to interview. Uh, we have kind of a whole process we have set up around that. Um And again, we're all about objective information. So if you're not pro-cannabis, that's fine. We'd love to interview you as well. Um, Really would love to get into some of the psychology behind it. Haven't done some episodes about that, but we have done some really good episodes with veterinarians, like we mentioned, uh, with about children. We did a really interesting one on DNA, uh, one on the chemistry of cannabis. So you know, in in terms of sponsorship, uh, you could be reaching tons of different audiences. Uh, Doctors on Cannabis. Uh, we were recently awarded uh, top innovative healthcare company of 2020, and um, so you can kind of put that helps credential your brand. And then um, we have over, I think we're almost over 8,000 listeners and followers um and
1: over let's see 380 cities in the u.s wow so we can see there's a lot of research and information out there thank you allison so much for being on the show with me today
2: on behalf of lee richardson and the brain performance center we want to thank you for listening If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio,